This is Cinema Degeneration. If I may put forward a slice of personal philosophy, I feel that man has ruled this world as a stumbling, demented child king long enough. And as his empire crumbles, my precious black widow shall rise as his most fitting successor. I'm Frederick Lawrence. I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. They rule this world. The mark of Satan is upon them. They must hang. And now for you, Bartholomew, my beloved brother, while you are still alive, my ultimate device of torture. Now he must die. The Dr. Death that we created, he must die. I am not afraid. There is always room for more in the coffin of time. The instinct is alive within me. And you, Dr. Death, are you afraid? No. No, you're going home. Come. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. The tingler has been paralyzed by your screaming. There is no more danger. We will now resume the showing of the movie. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next few moments, you will be witnessing scenes from a new motion picture starring Vincent Price, master of the macabre. To those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome to the madhouse. Perhaps it was inevitable. For years, this man has played the role of Dr. Death. For years, he has pretended to be a hideous, murdering monster. Now, at last, he has actually become one. American International presents Vincent Price in Madhouse, where lunacy lives. All I ever got was a stake through the heart. Tonight, I would like you to meet my next victim. Fear lurks. Evil walks. And death waits. Death is the name of the doctor you've met. Stop it! Madhouse, a cinematic shock treatment. Guaranteed to scare you out of your mind. No one ever leaves Madhouse. Alrighty, folks, welcome to Cinema Degeneration's Vincent Price Appreciation Month. This is the final episode we're doing here, and we're ending off with a bang. It has been no secret, if you've listened to any of the other previous shows that I've done on Mr. Price, that this movie is my absolute favorite. We are doing Madhouse from 1974, a.k.a. The Revenge of Dr. Death. And joining me this evening is a, a longtime friend of mine and a podcasting partner, but it has she hasn't been on the show here very often uh, as of late, because, you know, Life happens sometimes, but I'd like to welcome Rebecca Reinhardt. How are we doing? I am doing great. Uh, Santa brought me high-speed internet for Christmas, so now I'm, like, back on the podcasting wagon. It was a little touch-and-go there for a while with my crappy <laughs> internet. <laughs> I was very oh, yeah. selective about what I did for podcasting. You were in a, uh, like, internet collective dead zone there for a long time <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah we were part of like the uh, i can't remember what they called it but we got a grant for being a 
like an unfortunate area or something. I can't remember the exact term they used, but it was something that just sounded terrible. Like we all had the plague or something. Well, you know, probably <laughs> have to be blah, we already do have the plague. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, but now we're back at it and we're you're, you're joining us for an episode of Vincent Price Appreciation Month. And you, you had set off the air here a little while ago that you hadn't seen this one very often. Is that right? Well, I mean... I feel like I've seen it, but I didn't remember it. Um, There is kind of a thing about Vincent Price movies. They kind of, they don't blend, I won't say, but he just, he was so prolific. And a lot of them had similar plots and that kind of thing. So, you know, um, so I I just, I kind of watched it as a first time watch. Nice, nice. And well, let me uh, go ahead and give the quick IMDB synopsis and then we'll get your opinions on that here real quick. All right. IMDb for Madhouse is as follows. A horror movie star returns to his famous role after years in a mental institution, but the character seems to be committing murders independent of his will. And that's fairly, fairly accurate. Kind of, sort of, not really. Yeah, I will say my first gripe is you mentioned the alternate title, The Revenge of Dr. Death. Which yes, I don't know that that maybe sound for seventy four that might have sounded a little old fashioned. That might have sounded a little too sixties, a little too hammer or something. But my God, it makes a hell of a lot more sense than Madhouse. Yeah, Except for the fact there are like four movies named Madhouse, you know? Oh, four. Uh, yeah, there's probably oh, plus. there's probably more than. That. Yeah. When I said I told a friend of mine I was doing Madhouse, he's like, "Which one?" I'm like, "Yeah, good question, good question." The one with John Larroquette. <laughs> <laughs> the one with Lance Hendrickson? No, not either of those. <laughs> Although yeah. I'd be willing to cover either one of them. Sure. But yeah, uh, it's it's a weird title, and there was something I even found in doing some you know IMDb Wikipedia work and looking up trivia, is that that was a main complaint of it back in the day was that people felt kind of misled because they thought this was going to take place in a, a, you know, a loony bin or a madhouse, but it doesn't. There's, there's one scene. Yeah. Which, one is, scene. which if they hadn't really like driven the point home, I would have just totally been like, Oh, he was just in the hospital. Like I didn't really like feel like it was, Ooh, he's in the loony bin for a long time. I mean, they just kind of touch on it and, you know, they kind of mention it a couple times in the movie, but it's really not a main plot point at all. No, it's it's a plot point for about five thirty or 10 seconds. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I you're okay. I'm it, exaggerating, but yes, you're right. <laughs> I kind of took it as as this, like what that once he went into the madhouse, he never really came back out because once he comes back out, insanity just ensues for right. poor old Paul Toombs. And so, um, being this was a, this, you know, you it swore that you had seen it before, but you weren't quite sure because as you said, and I would agree, some of his films, you know do tend to run together a lot of the pose stuff you know kind of runs together you kind of mistake one yeah. for another but so what was your impression on madhouse this this time viewing um i dug this i really like you know mid-70s kind of um a, like ambiance horror um i like the fact that it it takes some of his actual old footage and and, and it is really kind of he's playing himself mm-hmm. i mean minus like the killing and the you know murder and all that stuff He's playing himself. I mean, he is really like a horror legend um, who's just had a bad run of things after his fiance is killed, which why he ever was mean to her at that party, by the way, like, I'm sorry, but she was like, yeah, <laughs> she was yeah, like 25 or something. <laughs> and she really loved him. <laughs> yeah, she really did. And like, yeah. and, and it's all because she was making naughty films, adult films, and he was before, but, yeah, yeah, before. But you know, she made that nice watch for him that was engraved, you know, to the love of my life or, or, or whatever it had said. Yeah, <laughs> just you know, let it go, guys. You know, whatever a girl's past is, it's her past. You know, she's moving on. You move on, right? Her, right. So. The real bastard of this movie, though, the real bastard though, is Robert Corey because he rubs it in. He he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna drop dime on on this girl. In front of Paul yeah. Toombs, right after you know he's at that that little Hollywood soiree, soiree party, having screenings of his films, and just you know having a nice party, and he announces that he's going to marry her. Everything was fine until Robert Corey walked in. Right, twisting the <laughs> knife, boy. Yeah, I, I will admit I, I I do love me some Robert Corey. He's not the world's greatest actor, 
but uh, I do enjoy his work. It, it's I don't believe in the term guilty pleasure, but I, I, I do feel a little guilty saying I like <laughs> Robert Quarry sometimes because he was in some bad stuff. But I, I, re I really like the Count Yorga movies and, you know, uh, the abominable Dr. Fives that he was in with also, also with Vincent Price. But I just like the fact that the, the that all the Dr. Death clips, it's very meta. This movie... I've, I've had this argument with somebody and I literally say an argument because they wouldn't let me live it down that I compared this movie to Scream in the fact that it's very meta, you know, but it was also, you know, 20 years prior to Scream. But I think I'm not saying Scream owes anything to this movie, but I just feel. Oh, Scream know. owes to a lot of movies. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> but. I, ha yeah, I have my own feelings about the Scream series, but we'll get into that right. another time. Well, you know, you've got more layers, though. It's because it's him and he's questioning his own sanity. Everyone's questioning him, rightfully. We have this whole, I, which, okay, now I had like a thing where I was like, I wonder if, uh, I think it was Joe Esterhouse who wrote Basic Instinct. I wonder if he was inspired mm -hmm. by this in a way because... He sits down with the police officer and he says, now, why would I be stupid enough to put on the costume that I wear and then kill people like that? And the guy is basically like, well, right. But then that gives you an alibi. And he's like, yes, it does. And I was like, that's just like the same speech they do in Basic <laughs> Instinct, you know? <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but you're right. They put a, uh, a nail on the head there. Yeah. But, you know, it, we've got, there's so much more than, yeah, it is very meta. It, um, it is is somewhere between like if he had I, that's the only time I think that the insanity part comes into play is the fact that he's questioning his own sanity and the other people are questioning his sanity. Um, otherwise, it would just be like I'm being framed, you know. I've got to figure out who's doing this, you know. But instead, he's just kind of like, uh... yeah, I might be guilty. <laughs> I don't you know. know. <laughs> it's like you tell me, am I guilty or not? Like, no, you can't tell me. Good, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> I will admit the first time I watched this, I totally thought uh, Robert Quarry as uh, Oliver oh. Quayle was 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 the guilty one. Oh, I and, thought it till I thought it till the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, I thought so. I'm like, so like, yep. Until we got right to the, up to the end of it, I was like, you know, this guy's guilty as fuck, and I know he's got an alibi for everything, but yeah, but he wouldn't be. He wouldn't be. We'll, we'll let we'll let that slide for a few moments until we actually get to it. Uh, well, they but, made oh. him the ultimate red herring because there's even like a point when there's the theater at the end where he walks out of the theater, then uh, the little Julia gets murdered and then he walks back in. Like, I mean, they basically are saying, hey, he's the killer. You know, that's yeah. that's what that says to your like brain. But yeah, red herring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time red herring. And another red herring would be uh, Faye. Faye, now, yeah. Yeah, Faye, who's uh, Peter Cushing's uh, wife. She's an actress who got... Uh, this movie makes a time jump after the first murder, folks. You know, so the, uh, yeah. after the first murder, which is a pretty nifty beheading, and it's very psychedelic looking. Uh, the most jumps... bloodless decapitation I've ever seen. Yeah, but that was kind of part of the course for American International. They weren't really big on gore. They were more big on set pieces and setting shit on fire which they yeah. do do in this movie too yes they do but yeah the most bloodless decapitation because there was not a drop of blood anywhere except for like was, on her neck <laughs> there was barely like there wasn't any even like running off onto her neck like it was all just right there on the stump <laughs> yep like it didn't even ooze out it's just like no no womp womp <laughs> but uh you know after it jumps forward 12 years he gets out of the hospital you know he's been in the hospital for a couple of years he took the doctor death thing way too seriously and kind of went off the deep end after ellen's death and you know they never quite pinned it on him but it's always been kind of just you know one of those dark hollywood secrets that he was the hollywood legend who went nuts and he hooks up back up with his buddy uh, played by peter cushing who plays Herbert Flay, and he's, you know, I think it bears mentioning that at one point there's a couple Hollywood parties in here, and I think it bears mentioning that Peter Cushing dresses up as Dracula. Yes, yes, that, which is very cute. Yeah, very, yeah, very cute when you consider that he played Van Helsing more times than yeah. anybody else in history. It's just kind of, it was one of those like, ah, oh, I see what you did there. It's just like, just like I noticed Robert Corey dressing up as uh, Count Yorga. It was just a nice little wink and a nod.
And, you know, again, they show clips of everything in this movie. The Raven, Tales of Terror, uh, Pit and the Pendulum, The Haunted Palace. You name it. I'm probably missing a couple others. I think they probably... I was, was going to say about 15 minutes of the movie is The Pit and the Pendulum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and about another five minutes is The Mask of the Red Death. But yep. I, I don't really mind because it does play in very well. Like when uh, Herbert uh, takes Vincent in or takes uh, Paul Toombs in and he's like, here, you know, we need to get you in the movie because... He's trying to convince, you know, Paul Toombs that he needs to play Dr. Death again. And he's doing it under the guise. He gets him to come overseas, you know, basically on, on the idea that, hey, I'm broke. Come on out here. He's like, hey, I'm not really broke. I just want you to play Dr. Death. And I, they will only make it if you're here and I need the work. And it's kind of a dirty trick. But there's also a lot of dirty tricks going on here. I feel yeah. like this is much like in the movie uh, – House on Haunted Hill. It's all about somebody trying to drive another person absolutely bonkers, and they do that well here. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing I have to ask, like this is something that I just noticed. I, I kind of got a hint of it on the my previous viewing, but the last night's of viewing, I kind of this is almost uh, an English version of a giallo. Yes. Yeah, I and the I never gloves. Really, the gloves. Yeah, the, the gloves. Every time the killing started, the gloves were put on, and that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, the black gloves, and also that the fact that you know you have a switcheroo at the end. You know, you think you know who the killer is, they switch on you. You think somebody dies, well, then again, they they pull another switch on you, and there's, you know, a lot of photography in this that just harkens back to like Baba. Yeah. And and you know early Argento, but. I'm, and, good, and I'm glad you've seen that. But. that yeah, this, the concept that so many giallos have that you don't know if you're supposed to be rooting for the protagonist or not. You don't know if the protagonist is really the antagonist. It's a very common theme in giallo, and that's what we were dealing with here, too. So, yeah, I, that, I totally, yeah, I totally thought it was kind of a giallo sort of uh, inspired type movie. Yeah, it's the closest that we'll ever get to Vincent Price being in a giallo. That's the go. closest we're ever going to get. But, like, the one thing I thought they played their hand a little heavy during was when, again, Paul Toombs gets to Herbert's place, and he starts playing the movie on the projector, and he's playing the scene where he's being hypnotized by Basil Rathbone. And the way, like, Peter Cushing kind of tips the fuck out stage left and just kind of dissolves into the darkness, and then all of a sudden, you know, the the, the girl that's been following uh Vincent, uh, forgot yeah, her name. De- Debbie. Oh, yeah, Elizabeth. Right, Debbie. Where the hell did I get that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there is a Debbie in this movie. I don't think there is. I don't think there is. Maybe there is. Maybe I missed one. But anyway, uh, Elizabeth's been following him around, trying to get in with him and to take pictures with him, try to figure out if they're hiring for the Doctor Death series because they're going to turn Doctor Death into a TV series for the BBC. And she, she wants in. She wants to get in with this Hollywood legend, but he wants nothing to do with her. Besides, he's got nothing to do with the casting. They've already got a cast. But then she ends up dead, too. And uh, <laughs> I just I think it's kind of funny, though. I laugh a little bit out loud when, you know, the, the pseudo Dr. Death kills Elizabeth, puts her on the boat and just shoves her off the off in the river. <laughs> and the two little kids fishing the next day see her. It's I, I, I kind of get a stand by me, but <laughs> like, hey, you want to see a dead body? Ah, it's real fresh. But yeah, again, she, yeah, yeah, it's real fresh. But Elizabeth is a perfect case of fuck around and find out. She wanted to, to get in with Dr. Death and she did just that. But I have to ask if did you get a creepy vibe from her parents that were played by yes. uh, Luis and Alfred? Yeah. They were really weird right off the bat. Like, I totally thought they were my second guess for murders. For some right. reason, I thought they were going to turn out to be, like, Ellen's, you know, uh, parents or something well, like there that. Well, were, there were a few reasons why, and I totally am, am with you. I Because, I, again, I was like, okay, they could be red herring, whatever. Um, but the first thing is, they say, no, it's not our daughter. It's our foster daughter. And she says, it's my sister's daughter. Well, that's your niece, not your foster daughter, first of all. Like, a way to, like, distance yourself. But then after they make their speech to, you know, the cops or whomever they're making the speech to, when they turn around, the woman has the biggest smirk on her face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that that first, yes. And then the fact that she dies, they really don't seem to care about her. And then she dies. And, you know, and then they're, they're making a lot of comments about how she was going to 
carry them financially. She was going to be a star and, you know, they were kind of banking on her being an actress, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they were trying to make it very obvious that they were sketchy and they were sketchy. Oh, yeah, they were definitely sketchy. Yeah, just not the murderers. And yeah, yeah, but that'll come into play later on with their sketchiness. But the next scene that I really, really love, because you just didn't get these guys together very often, is when they meet at Oliver's uh, office. And it's Robert Corey, Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, three fucking horror legends all in the same room at the same time. It, it was just like, it was just 20 years later watching Lon Chaney, Bela Lugosi, and Boris Karloff together at the same time. It's it's just, you know, it's a very minor scene where they're all together, but it's just, gives me goose pimples just to watch it. Yeah. But, yeah. But three, king, three kings of horror all in one scene. You can't, you just can't beat that. And another note I got to make, the next note, it may, I make a swing here. Um, the cops in this movie, much like in Giallo's and much in like any kind of slasher, they're really kind of clueless. They're, oh, yeah. all, they're always going to, you can, you can almost bet your money on them that they're going after the wrong guy. Right. They're just like, oh, uh, most obvious answer. There, we're going with it. <laughs> right. They're like, yes, we're going to sit here and watch all these movies on reel to reel. It wasn't like they even had VHS back in those days. Yeah. You know, like, and there's this filled with, the room is filled with film canisters, and he's watching, he's like, oh, well, he's, he does link the murders that they're, they are linked to deaths that happened in Dr. Death movies. So he, he is at least, the cop is at least, you know, coherent enough to figure that part, part out, but. Right, but not if, smart enough to be like, okay, so maybe we can thwart the next kill, you know, like, right. you know, go that extra level, let's figure out what's coming next, and. And try to, you know, head the person off. They're just trying yeah. to, like, be like, we're, we just need to catch him doing it red-handed. That's it. Yeah, so when he when he strikes again, we'll know what to do. And it's like, well, yeah, but then you're going to have right, another, another body on your head. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes, you're trying 70... to avoid that, aren't you? <laughs> right, right. 70s cops were no better than 80s cops in movies. They were yeah. just really clueless. And I love the cattiness of when they get on set the first day. Most awkward first day on set ever. We've been on multiple film sets. I don't know that I've ever seen some shit go down like this. Well, I mean, he was playing diva, but, I mean, he knew that this girl was, she had her sights set on kind of taking over. Like, he didn't know it overtly, but we knew it, and you could tell. And, yeah, I noticed that she looked at the camera, too. She's trying to look through the doctor's bag. Like, that's so amateur, dude. I've worked on, like, I work on fucking zero budget shit and people don't look straight at the camera. Like it's right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, like they, they at least, you know, had a budget being this, the 70s and for the BBC, they had a budget. They were not rinky dink, but even on well, rinky dink. Well, and he would have cost quite a bit of money, even though he was still kind of, he was kind of down and out. This was, I mean, he was still a big draw. He wasn't yeah. like Eric Roberts before he started doing sci fi movies. He was, he was, you know. Hey, hey, he's lay off my man, Eric Roberts now. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Eric Roberts yeah. is on the, he's on the Righteous Gemstones now, so that's not so bad. Yeah. He's got something to talk about at Thanksgiving now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love me some Eric Roberts, though. I, I give him a hard time myself, but, you know, some of those sci-fi shark movies and Sharktopus versus Sharktopus is, is my favorite uh, sci-fi movie. And I mean sci-fi, like, S, like, when it was S C I F I, not S Y F Y. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at least you know on a but they're on a budget, so he's got a right to be a little bit devious because he's like, hey, you even sister, he's like something to the effect I said, you know, handed to me with haste. He's like, not until we're both dead, you know. And what did he, what did he say? Like, hand me the scalpel before rigor mortis sets in, and then he. He was like, before rigor mortis in the corpse sets in. <laughs> <laughs> not us. Yes, yeah, not us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was, yeah, yeah he's he a little very sarcastic. He was very catty and very sarcastic with her and very mean, but like I kind of understood half of it. And the other half was just like, hey, hey, you, you could have said that a little bit better. The the cattiness on set translates to very catty at the party, where that's where we get our scene with Peter Cushion uh in cosplay as Dracula and Count Yorga or Robert Corey is Count Yorga. And of course, Vincent Price is dressed up as Dr. Death, looking very disinterested, does not want to be there. You can tell he just 
And I mean the character, not Vincent Price himself. Right. But then, uh, but this is when the parents show up. I think he he leaves the party, and the parents show up as he's going back to. Uh, I think he's going back to uh, Herbert's place. Right. And the parents show up with that watch that came up missing. I don't think we mentioned the watch, like when he was on the boat and, and she tried to getting into his cabin on the boat. Yeah, and, that girl and, was deplorable. But yeah, you knew the watch was going to come back. But yeah, then they basically are trying to extort him with it. Yeah, like we found it. We know you, you know, you killed her. This proves it. We won 10,000 pounds, which I don't know what that translates to in dollars, but 10,000 of anything is a lot. I think it translates to about 20 yeah. or 25,000 dollars, but that's still yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, especially for a semi out of work actor. Right, right. With medical bills, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, four years in a hospital, I don't think he, uh, he's he's probably doing that well financially. I mean, he is staying at, you know, on Peter Cushing's couch. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I also say that I had a note here, when you're suspect of not one but two murders, don't threaten people with death. I'll kill you both, is what he says. He's like, he's yeah. very quick to throw that out. You know, this, maybe if you're... Being tried, not tried for murder, but being, you know, investigated for murder, maybe don't do that. Yeah, you know, kind of just hold your tongue a little bit. Just a little. Yeah, yeah. yeah just just a wee bit. But what happens yeah. to the parents, they don't end up being a problem for very long because they get killed by, and I'm using air quotes here that you can't see, by Dr. Death with a sword. And, Paul's, you know, at, at this point, I have made a note that Paul is, if anything, not going to be driven nuts by the murders going on around him. He's going to be driven nuts from sleep deprivation alone from everybody <laughs> waking him the fuck up. Every time he's sleeping, every time it's like him trying to take a nap or sleep, they're always waking him up. Somebody's knocking on the door. Someone's calling on the phone. Let the man sleep. Maybe if he wasn't so sleep deprived, he'd know whether or not he committed these murders. Or he wouldn't be so damn cranky to his co co actress. You know, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. He, he'd be a, he'd be a little less <laughs> uh, he'd be a little less bitchy. Yeah. Uh, now, what did you think? I, and this is uh, I can call it the biggest what the fuck moment in the movie. As you know, as I always do, there's got to be at least one what the fuck moment. Is when he discovers Faye in. Uh, Herbert's basement. Now, Faye is his wife, is, is Herbert's wife, and she was a former actress in one of the Dr. Death movies for you that not, at home that have never seen it. And But she had, between the 12 years of him going into the hospital and coming out, had had a bad car accident and got really burnt up and got disfigured. So she's living in this basement that looks like, like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman's mm -hmm. You know, tomb. I don't know why that was under that kind of stately English manner that they were at, but I'm, I'm willing to throw, throw a little, you know, suspension of disbelief out. Right. But it, it gives you good. It gives you good ambiance. But yeah, she's become Spider Baby, um, somewhere between Spider, like a Spider Baby and Magenta from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had to look that up because I'm like, okay, the, that movie came out in '75. But Patricia Quinn was already playing Magenta in 73 on, you know, in the, uh, in the musical. So I'm like, mm -hmm. it, it, but I felt like maybe they saw this movie and kind of did a little, uh, did a little homage to uh, yeah, her character. They did a little sum sum. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there were times where I'm like, you know. I, I wanted to start quoting that, you know, <laughs> like, man, especially with a little to the right, yeah. right, like, <laughs> my babies, uh, <laughs> uh, and she's creepy looking, the makeup they do on her is really good, it when is they, good. especially when they accidentally pull off her, her red wig, and you see how, just how disfigured she is, and, and I love the dismissiveness of Peter Cushing the next morning, when he's like, why didn't you, you know, uh, Vincent Price is like, why didn't you tell me about Faye? And he's like, well, I just thought it would upset you. And he's like, yeah, it, it fucking did. Yeah. You know, you know, and she's living in the basement, taking care of, uh, you know, spiders that are her, like you said, her babies. Jeez. Yeah. She, she's fell off her cracker a long time ago, I think. Right. And she I is, guess nationalized health care does not include mental health. <laughs> no, it should. It should. So it stays in England. Especially sorry. in 74, it did not. It yeah. definitely didn't. But I, I felt sorry for her character. You know, oh, she's, yeah. she's like relegated to living in this basement and, and Peter Cushing just blows it off. And he's like, 
well, she likes to stay in there because it's dark and she sleeps during the day and only comes out at night. I thought you'd never see her. It's not a big deal. And he just continues sipping his morning tea or coffee. Uh, just pretend she doesn't exist, you know. This is the point where I really started to uh, suspect Peter Cushion was up to something. That if, if, if he wasn't indeed the murderer, I was at least suspecting that he was in on it. Or at least oh. in on a plot to drive Paul Toombs crazy. Okay, Cam, can I admit something that I ha- I'm hanging my head down right now? Oh, no. All right. All right. I didn't, Lay it on I me. I didn't ever suspect him. And then when it, he comes to be the person, I'm like, how the fuck did I not figure that out? Just from the very beginning, they talk about he was an actor, but then he figured out he had a knack for writing. And so he was, you know, just writing and not actually acting anymore. Like, how did I not fucking even figure it out at all? I don't know. Like, I really felt like they were friends or something. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, at this point, he was, everybody to me was a suspect. Peter Cushing, Robert Corey, even Faye was a suspect. The parents, until they died, I was suspecting them of being in on something that maybe... You know, Elizabeth and Ellen were, you know, related somehow, you know, but uh, uh, the first time I watched this, at least. I don't know. Yeah. I'm mean, Like I said, I'm, but he I'm was hanging, he was oh, sorry, hanging head. I'm hanging my head in shame. I it was uh, like really idiotic that I didn't even consider him. <laughs> well, I mean, I suspected him. I guess you could say he was at the bottom of my suspect list. Because okay. I was still like, like, man, like this seems to be the only guy that's really on his side. That's not really. Yeah, I guess this, maybe that was a little hopefulness too. Like that's kind of where I was going with it. Is he actually was like his his friend? I thought he had good intentions for the poor guy. Yeah, it just goes <laughs> to prove you can suspect everybody. That's right. Uh, again, this is where I also made a note. This is a precursor to not even the the Scream series, but a lot of the Giallos. But when this is where we start getting. A lot of the close-ups of the gloves, we got a couple random ones, but now, like, every time something's happening, you see a couple close-ups of those black gloves being put on. Yeah. With, with an OJ moment, too. I love that. The cop oh, hands yes. him the glove, and he's like, does this fit? And the, he puts it on. He's like, yes, it fits perfectly. Size nine. And then he hands it to the cop. He's like, how does it fit you? It's you perfectly. <laughs> like... He's like, like, yeah, and there you go. That's like telling a woman, like, oh, so you fit this size eight and a half shoe. Well, then you must be the killer. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's only the most common size in the world. (laughs) Right. And it's funny that you mentioned the OJ thing, because I literally had a little quick note that I made. I'm like, if the glove fits, you must, doesn't fit, you must acquit. Yeah. (laughs) And that was my note. So we were on the same page on that one. I guess if it does fit, then, uh, you know, slam dunk, right? I I, I guess, you know, you can say if it fits everybody, you you got, then you got to suspect everybody. I mean, everybody's a suspect. Yes. Yeah. But but even the director. Okay. This is the one thing I had to say. Even the, after the director gets killed in that, that that bed contraption where the top of the canopy of the bed comes down and yeah. Paul's operating the controls and you know he's exp- the director is explaining to you know him how to how the effect is going to go. Well, the effect goes wrong and the top of the bed doesn't respond when you know Paul Toombs hits the button and it crushes the director like like a panini sandwich. And right. <laughs> they still just like well no biggie. We literally just watched even though it was a malfunction. We just watched our star kill the director and kind of run off afterwards. We're just going to hire. I mean, even Robert Corey says, I guess I got to hire a new director. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Tomorrow morning. Yeah. We'll be back. And I guess we'll have a new director. Yeah. That's how replaceable everybody is. But, but what I question is why was that? Why was that lethal anyway? Like I can see like the effect, like, okay. So, you know, you work on a movie whatever something looks like it could hurt you like okay a knife is rubber or whatever but like why was that canopy thing something that that could actually kill you right right why was it made out of something other than like foam spray paint and balsa wood you know and right. other than something that could crush him with hundreds of pounds of pressure the, the effects guy would yeah. never build something like that but i i got a reason because it was wrote in the script right yeah. Yeah, exactly. oh right right that, that's yeah. the only excuse I got for things like this. 
And this is why I got to get to. Um, I'm not sure if this is a favorite subgenre of yours, but it's always been one of my probably two or three favorite subgenres. And this is the the niche that this movie fills is the movie within a movie. I love it when a horror movie takes place on a movie set, you know, yes. and you get the inner workings of the film because I just love watching that happen to try to see what they get right and what they get wrong. And I guess, you know, filmmaking in 74 is a lot different than, you know, 2022. I, I love that type of subgenre, and this fills a niche that only movies like kind of like a demons or brutal massacre can kind of fill up, but, you know, but uh, Madhouse falls into that same kind of category. It fills a giallo category and even a slasher category and the, the movie within a movie subgenre. So it's yeah. kind of multi-level there. I, I kind of like it. I kind of dig it a lot. <laughs> yeah. But then I, I guess you could say during the interview, I call it the TV interview gone wrong when they're, you know, Paul is on, on stage talking to the the interviewer guy. I don't even think they give him a name, but he's played by Michael Parkinson. Uh, and he kind of describes, he's like, you know, hey, well, like, well, the guy asked him, like, what do your movies fill? What niche do your movies fill? And he's like, you know, can you justify the violence on screen? And he's like, this is the point where I feel like Paul Toombs says a little bit too much. And he's like, you I know, just what I was going to say, he basically is like, hey, everybody, I'm the killer. If you had any doubt, this is my confession. Like it was the yes. stupidest thing again. Shut up! Oh my god! <laughs> and that's when it's followed by the 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 next biggest leap. Now, not only does he give almost like a full confession while he's on camera, which you know Herbert and Oliver are both watching, and this is the part you were talking about when Oliver leaves at one moment and then he comes back. But the assistant that we haven't mentioned yet, uh, played by Natasha Pine, is uh, Julia Wilson is the character's name. Sweet girl, you know, and don't one of the only people actually working on Paul Toom's side, not trying to to be shitty with them, you know, or be catty with them. She find you know starts to do some investigating into Robert Quarry's office and finds a piece of uh, paperwork that basically says, you know, in the event of uh, Paul Toom's <laughs> death or firing, that somebody will the a character will you know the character of Doctor Death will be played by. And then dot, you got dot, dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And then they never flip to the next page. So you never know who the fuck it is. Well, we do. Well, we I do. mean, it, we, we, do. we knew it was supposed to be the girl, right? right the assistant right. was supposed to take over. But yeah, but at that point in time, yeah. I, like, I liked her a lot. I really wanted her to, to pull out. Get, yeah, yeah, but it worked really well because then he turns in, like, to full on Vincent fucking Price. Because yes. now, now it's Ellen, his dear Ellen, and they've taken her away again. Yes, he he, he flips. He, he, the he he go as a, my buddy Eric would say, he goes full blown nutter butters. And, <laughs> you know, because he he grabs her, and this is the next what the fuck moment is that if you're one again, I'm like I realize that Paul Toombs' character, uh, <laughs> you know, he he's gone batty at this point, but like if you're innocent. Uh, maybe don't pick up and carry the dead body around right, the bloody right. dead body. But, you know, he's he's done lost his marbles at this point. Yeah. But this is like the chef's kiss of the movie to me when Vincent Price gives that monologue that goes on for like eight straight minutes. And we actually use the part of that monologue for the intro song for this show. You know, it's just a great monologue of him. Hitting all the notes, going hammy, as you said, going full-blown Vincent Price, doing what Vincent does best, kind of going a little crazy, playing it a little hammy. And he sets up the final scene. He he's puts the camera on her. He sets up the scene and everything and sets everything on fire and, apparent, and to, apparently to, to the audience sets himself on fire too and burns up. But what we don't know is that uh, so, somebody didn't perish in that fire. We get to we get to the end. I and this is the first time that I I saw this. I was completely blown away, and it still makes makes you know the hair on my arm stand up when I watch it. Is when Peter Cushing is with uh, Robert Corey signing the contract that he is now going to be playing Doctor right. Death. Then it just like and there's nothing you know mischievous about it. There's nothing devilish, but he just you know he hands him and he's like, here's the last bit of footage that. Uh, Paul shot now why the cops didn't have this since there was two dead supposed to be two dead bodies in there. Yeah, you know, 
you know, eh, you know, they, they were he was a, he was a shady, you know, porno director, so he probably stole some evidence, you know, that, that's all I can say. But when he gives it to to Herbert and then Herbert just, you know, makes himself a little drink, sits down in his private, you know, viewing room and starts playing the 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 film and Vincent starts walking towards him. It just makes like it says, it makes the hair on my arm stand up when he just yes. starts you know, and he starts it he starts walking towards him and he's on the canvas. He's on or he's on the screen at the time and he blinks and shakes his head in a moment and then Paul is just there in front of him. Yeah, it, it, it was a really it was actually especially for the time, that was a really good effect. Yes, I thought that was a really good it, effect. Very seamless. Yeah, very seamless, and it's like not, not something that I have recalled seeing previous to this in 74. I mean, I'm sure it might have happened, but I'm at least not aware of it. I feel like in 74, you would have seen something more materialize than, than like merge out of a screen. But. Yes. But yeah, and the thing in the end that, I mean, when it all comes out in the wash, Peter Cushing did it because he was jealous. It was an actor's jealousy. He wanted to play Dr. Death and not just write for him. And he kind of spills the beans in a big, as I call it, James Bond villain speech. He's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got all the credit and got all the fame and the money. And I got stuck in the writer's room. And he's like, and I just wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be Dr. Death. And he's like, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to give it to you. And then we get a great, like, not the most graceful fight in the world. You know, it's not like John Wick level of fight choreography. It's nothing like that. But it's it, it's sloppy and realistic. And I mean the sloppy part as in as, as a positive. You know what I mean? It's very scrappy when they start fighting with the candelabra and the sword. And they go down. They got to go down into the basement. That castle dungeon looking basement. You know they had to. And when it, when it got back to Peter Cushing's place you knew that's where it was going to go. And it's kind of funny because uh, Vincent Price does not kill Peter Cushing. He's killed by Faye. She stabs him yep. in the back. And pretty gruesome effect for back in the day. Uh, he falls into a pit after she stabs him in the back about five, six times in the middle of his fight with uh, Vincent. And he falls into the pit and she says something to the effect. She's like, oh, my babies have him now. It's like, they didn't even like mm -hmm. him when he was alive. Yeah. <laughs> and they mm. eat him like within 10 minutes. He's, his face is completely gone and shit. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's highly improbable, yeah. but it's a great fucking It's ending. a great effect. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty gruesome for an AIP flick. Uh, at least that particular moment, it more than makes up for the, the bloodless uh, decapitation earlier. Yeah. Or the pitchfork through the neck that basically had a couple little iodine stains on the victim. It looked like a one, one fanged vampire bit him on the neck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When Julia was at the costume party and she had the two bite, like the bite marks on her neck, that was yeah. more blood than any of the actual murders. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the murders up until this point were pretty bloodless. But I don't think it needs it. I, you know, I'm, I'm a gorehound first and foremost. But, uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, if it would have had it, it would have been better. But it didn't really have it. It didn't make it any worse. It made it a little yeah. bit more mysterious, I thought. And when I think of Vincent Price movies, I don't think of high gore codas. You know? Right. It's, yeah, it's more about wanting to hear his voice and see him. And and there's a line in there, um, and I don't remember where it is, but somebody says to him, well, he, or him to him or about him, that he invented the horror movie that this that Paul Toombs did. Yeah. But I thought that was a really nice little homage because Vincent Price. I mean, he carries a movie. He carries a horror movie. You see his name, and you know there's quality. Hell, I mean. I even get creeped out by him on the Brady Bunch Hawaii episodes. You know, he's he just does mm -hmm. a good job, and he's iconic. Yeah. So he he definitely is. And during this last scene, when he is down in that basement, I call this this is a a brief return to form of Doctor Fibes when he's putting on the makeup and kind of reassembling his face, and he makes the transformation into putting on the makeup and becoming Herbert. You know, and yeah. I. Oh, I, I think it's a great scene when he puts on the makeup and he turns and he's sitting at dinner with Faye and she's like, 
It made your favorite, Paul, and it just ends with him maniacally laughing. Peter Cushing's face, but but Vincent Price's voice coming out of it laughing as we yep. end off on that last shot with Vincent Price singing the theme song as we Yes, on. yes. Which I saw that on the trivia, like, because I usually front load trivia. I saw it on the trivia before I saw it, but then when I, like, was watching I'm like, there's no way in hell I wouldn't have known that was Vincent Price. Right. Oh, it's it's, it's pr- pretty obvious, but it, it's great. It's it's a great way to end it. And the last note I have was great fucking ending. And I can't. I really find much more to say about it. Is it's my favorite Vincent Price movie. It's my favorite AIP movie, and. So I'm pretty sure you can probably guess where I'm coming in on my rating, but I always let guests go first. So go ahead and give us your final thoughts, Rebecca, and a rating on a scale from one to ten. No, I dug this. It had uh, it had all the things that I like about a mid '70s movie and anything with Vincent Price. I'm you know I, I'm gonna watch and enjoy. Um, the music is one thing we didn't talk about. The music was really great. Um, the incorporation of his actual old footage. Um, gave it a very realistic feel. Um, I do <laughs> do kind of question Peter Cushing, though, like saying that he wasn't the one who got all the money when he has that stately manner and like Vincent's like crashing on his couch. But hey, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you obviously made some money and got some fame for this. Like, you know, just because you weren't on the screen. Whatever. But um he might oh, not have done as well as Dr. Death, but or as Vincent Price, but you know, he wasn't doing bad. Yeah. And I mean, okay, and think about it too. Like, okay, let's say he was maybe jealous that he got this starlet as a as a fiance. I mean, she never became his wife. But I mean, he had Faye and she was beautiful back then too. So whatever. That's what jealousy does to you people. Gives you just unrealistic expectations for your life. Um, but are, are, do we rate, <laughs> we rate out of 10? Yeah, 1 to 10. 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. All right, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. That's fair. That's that's pretty fair. Uh, I got to say, I agree with everything you've said and uh, the way you've described it. And I'm glad you did mention the music. The music accentuates the, the film very, very well. I love a lot of the way uh, some of it is shot. Uh, the just Again, it's not, it's not like one of the Poe movies where they have lavish sets you know, in lavish costumes. It's very, you know, it's a period piece of the 70s, you know what I mean? And it looks like a real film. You feel like you're watching a movie about Vincent Price because of all the film footage, you know, from Pit and the Pendulum, The Raven, and whatnot that are in the movie. You feel like you're watching a movie about Vincent Price on set, but just minus all, you know, the the murders that come along. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it, it fills a hole in my life that I, I need filled with, you know, giallos, slashers, you know, movies within a movie. It hits all the right notes, and it, I think it's one of Price's best performances. And I give it a straight-up 10 out of 10. If I could break the rules and give it an 11, I would, because to me, it's off the charts. This is your, your show. You can do it. Well, I've done that twice, and I've had people give me shit over it, but, you know. Well, I'm not hell? going to. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll give it an 11. Yeah. This this is I'll rate this on a special, uh, rarely done uh, spinal tap mode, and I'll give it an yeah. eleven, not a ten. Yeah. Because if totally. I could, if I could break those rules, I would. And, and you know, it is my show, so yeah, I guess I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's all good. Like, hey, as long as you don't yell at me, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Well, that being said, I think we'll put a pin in this one for the afternoon. Do you have anything coming up that you want to plug uh, real quick before we go? You know, I... Podcast-wise, right movies-wise? You know, right now, I um, I'm, I finished up, or I'm finishing up my last uh, commitment that I had to a film. Um, here in a couple weeks, I'm shooting a movie called Hellfire in Texas. And uh, then past that, I am going to be focusing most of my energies on my next uh, film, Tin Roof, that I will be directing in Northern Indiana. I think I've heard about that one. I think you <laughs> have. I think you might be involved with that one. Yeah, might might just be. I am, folks. No, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 
Any new any new shows coming out podcast wise? Uh, Summer Party Massacre podcast is still going strong. We just celebrated our first anniversary, which is kind of nice. crazy. Um, and we celebrated it by uh, hitting our the best and worst movies of 2021 together. So that should be out sometime this month. Nice, nice. Well, I want to thank you, Rebecca, for coming on the show. I know it's been a little while, but uh, I think uh, we can probably look forward to us coming on or being on the show a little more often with uh, Old Not Obsolete now that I have that <gasps> CED list. And I now, oh, have yeah. a, I now have a full list of everything that I have on Laserdisc uh, loaded up on the Laserdisc database. So yeah. I will get that list to you and we'll meet in the middle and see which ones we want to start. Oh, doing yeah. again because I miss doing that show. It's been almost a year since uh, we've done an episode, and that that was a pet project of mine that I really wanted to do a lot of, but it was just hard to kind of you know get things together for. It. But yeah, folks, you right. can start looking and forward. And then Hellhole busted my CD player, so uh, <laughs> that kind of and then I and then I lost a co-host. <laughs> yeah, and then I lost that episode. Is the only the. Second time in a little around almost two years that I've been doing this show that I've had a show just straight up be so glitchy that the audio was unusable. Don't know what happened. Hellhole. Yeah, hellhole. Fuck that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh well. Maybe we'll cover it again one day, but we won't make you put it in your CD. I'm not putting that because... in my CD player. <laughs> I got one that works now, so. Uh. Uh-uh. I'll tell you what. I have two copies of it on VHS, or one on VHS, one on laser. I'll send you the VHS, and then okay. we can do it that way. Right. That's fair enough. I don't care about my VCR. Yeah, VCRs are <laughs> still a dime a dozen these days. Yep. Well, that being said, I want to thank you for coming coming back on the show. I missed talking to you. It's been real fun. And uh, hopefully we can get do this again sometime soon. Yes. Right. All right. Well, folks, I want to thank you all for tuning in to Cinema Degenerations. This has been Vincent Price Appreciation Month, and we have been covering Madhouse. Lights! Camera! <laughs> <laughs>